Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Thank you. I'm so excited. I love this series, the um, the stories, telling stories from Scripture. And why are these stories important? Um, it's not because the people in Scripture are amazing. Um, it's because every single story revolves around the Lord. Every single story tells us more of who he is. Um, today, uh, we are talking about the story of Jacob. Oh, I got a slide. It's story time Sunday. It's exciting. <laughs> we're, uh, we're talking about the story of Jacob. Um, and uh, as Christians who are gathering, um, who have scripture, some of this that we've heard before um, is stuff we, we know, stuff that we've um, uh that we have heard and that we have read. Um, and there's a danger with familiarity. There's a super big danger in familiarity of like, I've heard this before. And so I'm going to filter it out. I'm not going to listen. Um, and the truth is, uh, is that there's things in our lives uh, that God wants to change. And there's mindsets and, and heart sets in our, in our lives that the Lord wants to change with his word as the blade that comes in um, as we were singing about today. Um, and, and it only works if we hear. It only works if we listen to the word. So let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles. Today we are in Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25. Um, all right. We're talking about Jacob. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Um, he is the son of Isaac. Jacob then has 12 sons that make up the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the family of God. Um, uh, God promises to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he's going to multiply his descendants and that he's going to bless the whole world through this family so that he's a part of this chosen family. Um, that promise is then passed down to Isaac, and then that promise is then passed down uh, to um, Isaac's son. Except it isn't just one son that Isaac has, it's two sons. Um, Isaac, uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, has twin boys. We're picking up in verse 23, Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, talking to Rebecca, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) So they named him Esau, which means hairy. Very, very imaginative naming. We're going to call him Harry. (laughs) Since then, we've been naming people Harry ever since. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so he was named Jacob, which guess what? Means heel uh, or supplanter. (laughs) We're going to call him Harry and heel. Uh, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home playing video games among the tents. (laughs) Um, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Esau reminds me of my brother, um, my my brother Luke. Um, 
he, uh, he was a part of this Christian Boy Scout program called Royal Rangers. Um, and, and for one, just one of his merit badges that he had to do, he had to complete this huge list of things. And number eight on the list reads like this. Go on a survival camping trip of at least 24 hours with a friend or a group under adult supervision. Build a shelter out of native materials to stay in overnight. Find and use only a natural source of water and eat only the food you catch or gather in the field. Cooking should be done with any of the following, a can, a Sierra cup, a tin cup, or any primitive method such as a coal burned bowl or a forked stick. This sounds terrible to me. <laughs> this sounds absolutely horrible. Um, I'm an indoor guy. Um, I like music and computers, you know, <laughs> that's how I'm oriented. Um, so I totally understand this difference between Esau and Jacob. Like I lived it. I grew up with, with this exactly. Um, how many of you guys identify more with Esau outdoors, love the sunshine, that sort of thing. All right. And then how many, yeah, oh, 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 Tim Allen sort of people, right? And then how many of you guys identify more with Jacob? I like the indoors. I like the, you know, thoughtful, calm, quiet. Um, I like to control my own lighting and temperature. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> all right. So we've got Esau here. Um, he's the strong firstborn child, right? He's the one that pleases his father. Um, he's... <laughs> As the firstborn, he's entitled to a double portion of the inheritance when the father dies. He's entitled to a greater blessing of all things. He's got everything going for him. Um, Jacob, on the other hand, um, ends up being a con man and a thief. He's, he's the runt of the two. Um, that's it. I, I saw it. I'm like, yep, that's exactly the picture here. Um, okay, so in Genesis 25, um, Jacob takes advantage of the fact that Esau doesn't uh, value his birthright. He takes advantage of the fact that Esau d doesn't, doesn't much value what uh, he is owed. Um, Hebrews says that Esau was godless and sold for a single meal, sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. He's godless, uh, meaning that he uh, sold um, his spiritual blessing, his destiny for immediate comfort. Um, that's a, the picture Hebrews gives of a godless person. Um, and then in two chapters later, Jason, Jacob takes advantage of his father's blindness. His father's on his deathbed. And Jacob takes advantage of it and takes Esau's firstborn blessing, which would have been formally acknowledged by the father um, on, on his deathbed. Jacob, uh, with his mother, they conspire together um, to impersonate Esau, to come in uh, to the blind father, uh, strap on, because Esau's super hairy, strap on goat skins to his, to his arms and his neck, um, make sure that he smells and, and feels just like Esau um, and steals the blessing. Jacob lies to his father, right? Um, and Isaac falls for it, gives the blessing to Jacob. This is the blessing that God, uh, that 
Isaac blessed Jacob with. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Then Esau comes in expecting to be blessed. And Isaac says, sorry, this is all I've got. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. That's the worst thing you could say to an outdoorsman, right? You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke off from your neck. Then the Bible says, Esau had a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father gave him. And he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. He could tell his father's about to die. Then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Jeez. All right, so at this point, Esau is a godless man who is so filled with anger, he's going to kill his twin brother. And Jacob is a liar and a traitor to his own family. At this point, I think God should probably pick another family to bless the whole earth with, right? Like, what's the plan B here, (laughs) Um, and yet it's at this point that God speaks to Jacob. Jacob is on the run from his brother, runs away, uh, to a far off land. And on the way he has a dream. Scripture says he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. He saw the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give to you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob, or God promises himself to Jacob in the midst of his exile. This is the picture of the gospel, by the way, right? The God of the universe promising, committing himself to people who don't deserve it. Not, and not at their best moments. This is the worst moment of Jacob's life. That gap between our lowest moment and the moment of God's faithfulness and God's forgiveness and God's grace says much more about God's goodness than it does anything about us. We can see this story. Yeah, there's people doing things, but the most important thing is God is being faithful and God is showing up and he's showing who he is. Scripture says, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And then said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he sets up a a marker to show where heaven's gate is. So everybody who walks by can say, oh, that's where the gate of heaven is. Um, How awesome is this place? (laughs) There's nothing special about that place. There's right. The gate of heaven is not in this location. In fact, Jesus says in John that he is the gate. 
Jesus is the gate. In fact, what's even cooler, John 1, Jesus says to Nathaniel, this new disciple, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. He uses these same words of Jacob's dream to say, you know, that ladder from heaven, I'm the ladder, right? I'm the one. Oh, so cool. Oops, back. Um, and just, this is a really good example for us. We're considering the outcome and the, the successes and failures of, of these people. This is a good example for us. When we have an encounter with God, that does not mean that we all of a sudden have amazing theology. That doesn't mean that we're now, you know, right about everything and have the authority to just, you know, say whatever we want in any location and, and have God just bless it with his stamp of approval. Like that's, <laughs> we're not all of a sudden right. Jacob had terrible theology about how to access heaven at this point, even though he had this really cool dream. We need humility. We, we can still misunderstand. Um, and then after this point, Jacob makes a very conditional commitment to the Lord. Um, this is what Jacob's commitment looks like. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me the food to eat and the clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you'll give me, I'll give you a 10th. Like very conditional, right? The truth is Jacob owes his entire existence to the Lord, right? The creator of all God's worthy of Jacob period, right? This sort of like, I'll live for you. If you bless me is not the right way to approach Almighty God, right? We're not bargaining with, with him. Um, and God's blessing is not contingent on us, you know, committing to follow him or, or, um, or fulfilling any sort of thing on our part. Jesus reveals the heart of the father when he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him, right? We're loved on our best day, on our worst day, we're blessed. It's good stuff. All right. The next thing that happens in the story is Jacob arrives at his uncle's house and falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Um, he willingly offers to work for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Um, scripture says that he worked those seven years, but it only seemed like a day uh, because of his love for her. Isn't that romantic? It's just so romantic, right? But then plot twist at the wedding feast. Um, it's customary for the, um, uh, the, the, the bride to be brought to the bridegroom. Jacob's in his tent and Laban brings his older daughter to Rachel instead. Uh, I'm sorry, to, uh, to Jacob instead. Um, Jacob doesn't even notice because he's too drunk. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, and this is just the biggest example of sowing and reaping that I could possibly imagine in scripture. Jacob pulled this exact same switcheroo with his father, right? This exact same thing. Um, Galatians six says, do not be deceived. 
God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. Notice like this destruction, this judgment itself comes from the sin. Um, It isn't God like randomly dealing out mismatched punishments. Um, Judgment is, the judgment of God is simply him taking his hands off and letting your sin run its course, right? It is just letting you receive the, the, what you've sowed into the ground. That's judgment. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. That's what scripture says. If you live a life of deception, it's the deception that is going to come back to bite you. Proverbs lays it out like this. The wicked earn deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. So Jacob agrees to work another seven years for Laban for the correct wife. (laughs) If he can marry the other daughter as well. Um, He says, Hey, I'll work for another seven years. If next week I can have a second wedding and marry Rachel. Um, And so he does. Jacob has a huge amount of kids with, with Leah and with Rachel and with Rachel's servant, because Rachel at first couldn't have kids and um, it's, it's a mess. And then as you'd expect from a family that is built on deception and favoritism and polygamy, like what Jacob reaps is this huge amount of family strife. Huge. Um, There's arguing between his wives. um, And if you jump many, many years ahead, a bunch of the sons conspire to kill another one of the sons. Um, It's just him like reaping again, what he's sowing. Um, Next thing that happens in the story is Jacob makes this deal with Laban um, about his flocks. Jacob gets all the spotted animals. Jacob gets the spotted animals and, and Laban gets the ones that are, uh, that are spot free um, just to keep, keep it fair. They say, it'll be really obvious which flocks are mine and which flocks are yours. Um, But then he secretly put spotted sticks in the troughs of the strong animals so that they will have spotted offspring. Um, and, and he's, once again, he's trying to swindle Laban. He's, he's trying to be deceitful. He's trying to steal from Laban over time. And he does this in a super bizarre way. Um, and it ends up somehow working. Um, and Jacob gets super rich off of Laban like very, very rich. Um, Then God tells Jacob this, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted. For I have seen what that Laban has been doing. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Bethel's the name of the place that he had his first encounter. He's saying, I'm the same God who had that first encounter with you, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. This is 20 years later, 20 years later. Um, But in this situation, we see God giving the riches of one cheater to another cheater. You know, like, why does he does? why, Why is he doing this? Is this... Is this fair? God can, God is doing what he is entitled to do. He has a plan and he's going to be faithful to his plan and to his people. And this is how he's choosing to do it. Um, 
God's going to bless Abraham's descendants. And so he's going to do it by making certain flocks speckled in this one situation. Um, the principle we can learn here is the, the amount of wealth that we have is not an indication of how much sin that we have. It's not an indication of whether we're following the will of the Lord or not. Um, Jacob is deep in sin and deception and has not been following the Lord in, in many ways. Um, and yet God's blessing him um, with the wealth of another cheater. Good and bad people suffer. Good and bad people prosper. That's the, the whole point of the books of Ecclesiastes and, and Job um, is that God's going to be God uh, and we have no right to judge him. Um, he's the just one. Earthly circumstances don't show us what, what's in someone's heart. Um, all right, so they leave Laban's house 20 years later. Jacob steals her, her, uh, Rachel. I'm sorry, Rachel steals her father's idols from his house. Um, Laban realize it runs, catches up with them. Um, and they end up, she ends up getting away with it in a very strange way. Look it up. And then Jacob says, ha, you didn't, you didn't find the idols. We're totally innocent. Goes off on this super self-righteous monologue. I've been with you for 20 years now, Laban. Your sheep and your goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment for me for wherever, whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime, and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. Basically, I've never done, he's, Jacob's saying, I've never done anything wrong. And the world is persecuting me. And I'm such a victim here. Right? It's only by the grace of God that I'm barely standing here today. Right? Jacob might not know about the idols that Rachel stole in this situation. Right? But he definitely knows all about the ways that he tried to swindle Laban. Right? He, he definitely knows. How often is this our attitude, right? Of like, I, I'm just doing everything right. And everybody's just picking on me. Next scripture says, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. Oh, when Jacob saw them, he says, this is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahanaim. He named the place, that means double camp, double camp. So Jacob's saying like, this is a camp of humans, but it's also a camp of angels. It's like, there's two things going on here, a spiritual realm and a heavenly realm. Um, boy, Jacob just keeps happening to wander into all of these places that there's angels there already. Isn't that, what are the chances of this? Um, <laughs> that's, that's not the case. 
that's not the case, <laughs> right? God is sending his angels to follow Jacob, right? God himself, the Lord is following Jacob. Um, God's the faithful one here. Um, all right, so Jacob's nearing his hometown and Jacob sends messengers to Esau um, to explain like, hey, Jacob's coming. He's on his way with a bunch of people and a bunch of animals, just so you know, FYI. And when the messengers, this is Genesis uh, 32, when the messenger returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. <laughs> the guy, you know, the guy that wanted to kill you, he's coming. He's rushing to you with 400 men. <laughs> All right, so Jacob is super scared. He's terrified. And he resorts to his, to his um, methods of conniving and scheming and plotting and planning in order to preserve himself. Right? So what he does, he divides his camp into two parts. And he says, okay, you guys are going to be over there. You guys are going to be over there. And if one of you guys dies, the other guy, the other camp can see it and run away. Okay. Like, let's just, let's cut our losses here. And okay. Um, and then, so there's two camps here, me and my family, we're going to like step back behind the two camps and just watch to see how this all plays out. Um, there's a theologian that once commented that um, Jacob forgot about Mahanaim so fast. The two camps, the place where there was a camp um, of angels sent to protect the camp, uh, the, the earthly camp so fast. And now Jacob is making his own two camps. He's making his own two places, right? As a protection. Um, then Jacob starts sending gifts to Esau in like phases, right? He just starts sending off hundreds of goats and sheep and cattle and, and everything um, in order to like appease uh, Esau. And then he sends messengers out to say, the, and he tells them exactly the right words that he's supposed to say in order to calm Esau down. Say this, say that. And then after all these human endeavors, he's full of fear Jacob finally does the right thing and he begins to pray. And Jake, Jacob's prayer is <laughs> the most amazing part about him in his life right now. This is his prayer. Oh God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the chesed, the loving kindness that you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper. And I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. This prayer is a fantastic model for anyone who is dealing with fear and anxiety. This is the right response. If you're going to write down anything this morning, th this is it. We're going to go through the little pieces of this prayer here. Number one, there's an acknowledgement of who God is. You're the God of my father, Abraham, the God of my father, Isaac. Number two, he recounts the word of God. 
You said this. You said, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. Number three, he admits where he stands compared to God, right? I am unworthy. There's praise for the goodness of God. You've been kind to me. You've been faithful to your servant. He recalls where the Lord brought him from. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. This is where I came from. And there's a celebration of the blessing that you've already been given. Yeah, you're in a tough spot right now, but you remember like the Lord has blessed you. He really has. There's this plea for help. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. I am in need. There's a confession of his feelings. Hey, Lord, I'm just going to let you know, I am afraid. I am full of fear right now. There's this intercession for other people. Jacob is thinking about the other people in his life, also the mothers and the children. And then there's a declaration of the word of God, of the promise that he made. You said you'll bless me. You said you'll make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Here's all of them again, if you want to screenshot it. Um, If you begin to pray like this, like your heart will be changed. Your attitude will be changed. You know, like this is, this is a, this is a prayer that will change your heart. Right. And this is not the prayer that, I mean, he could have prayed something else. You know, he could have said, (laughs) just like he did with Laban, God, I've done everything right. And now you ought to save me. Right. Or he might've started bargaining again. God, if you save me, I'll up that 10% up to 15%, you know, or God smite my brother for his wickedness. Right? No, Jacob's prayer sounds like the prayer of a changed heart. Um, and something in these 20 years of exile has, has begun to change, right? He's had at least three encounters with God and he's experienced God's mercy and he's experienced the judgment of God and the consequences of his own actions. He's not perfect, but he's not the man that he was before. And then he's, he prays and he's left alone in the wilderness and he meets God again. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me here? My name. Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. I saw God face to face. He's that guy that always answers a question with another question. (laughs) I saw God face to face. This encounter is not the only time in the Old Testament where we see God take on human flesh and talk to somebody. It happens over and over again. 
Check it out. It's amazing. This is Christ Jesus coming and wrestling with Jacob. He's doing it physically, but I believe he's doing it. He's wrestling out all of that for the entire night. He's wrestling out all of Jacob's self-sufficiency, all of Jacob's self-righteousness, right? This is the process by which Jacob is changed. And then after this encounter with the Lord, he gives them a new name. God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Um, Jacob's name was associated with all of his deception and cheating, right? He was the heel grabber. He was the supplanter. He's made a life out of lying. And so his name is liar. He's made a life out of deception. And so he is a deceiver. That's that's who he has become. Um, But God in his love is calling Jacob something else. He's calling him Israel. And Israel is the name that means he who struggles with God. Jacob is now named after the encounters that he's had with God. And honestly, that is the most important part of any of our lives is the encounters that we've had with God, right? And that is the most, that's the most powerful thing that we could possibly identify with is the moments that we have had with God. Say, you know, if (laughs) I, I, I'm somebody who's met God, I'm somebody who's had an encounter with God, right? That is the most important identity we could possibly take hold of. All right, so after this, Jacob goes to meet Esau. We're in, oh, wait. Charles Spurgeon has something to say about the wrestling. <laughs> he says it was brave of Jacob thus to wrestle, but there was too much of self about it all. It was his own self-sufficiency that was wrestling the God-man. Um, all right. Jacob looks up, and there was Esau. He's encountered Esau now, coming with his 400 men. He himself went on ahead now. That's interesting. This whole time he's put himself behind. He's put himself behind his messengers. He's put himself behind his gifts, behind his two camps, behind his family, everything. Like he's behind. This changed man is now coming out in front. And he's bowing his head to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. There's only one person that could have changed Esau's angry heart, right? It wasn't the gifts, (laughs) right? It wasn't those messengers that, like, talked him down, right? The Lord changed Esau's angry heart. Absolutely nothing Jacob did had any sort of effect on Esau's heart. Esau then says, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, Jacob said. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift for me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you've seen, now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you for God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. Jacob acknowledges this is obviously the Lord's hand at work. He finally sees nothing I could have done has anything to do with this. This is all just thankfulness, this gift that I give to you, right? He gets all the credit and he's, Jacob's changed, right? Esau's a changed man. Jacob's a changed man. This is what the power of the Lord can do. 
right? This is why we follow him. This is why we're meeting together this morning is to celebrate the fact that our God changes hearts and changes lives. He brings dead things to life, right? It is so good. Like miracles like this. Can we stand together? Um, as we consider how to respond this morning, I, wanna, I want us to think about a few things. Do we have a self, self-sufficient spirit like Jacob? Have we cut God out of the equation? Maybe we view him as another side of, the, um, of a business transaction, right? If, if I do this for you, then you have to do this for me. If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you, right? Have we come to terms with the fact that at the end of the day, our efforts count for nothing if God is not in it? Um, and if God is with us, that no, no force can stand against us, right? Has our spirit been, been changed in that way? Or do we still have the self-sufficient spirit like Jacob? Scripture says, if anyone, I'm sorry, number two, who do we act like? Are we living in the identity um, and the destiny that the Lord has bought and promised for us? Right? I don't mean that in like an arrogant, puffed up way. Right? But Jacob was like a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and has this promise from God. Um, he's a part of this chosen family of the Lord, but he acts like he has to lie and cheat and scrape for absolutely everything that he has. Um, are we living as sons and daughters of God, part of the family of God, who Ephesians says has been promised every spiritual blessing, every in the heavenly places in Christ. Like we, we have everything that we need. Scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So are we acting like this new creation? Are we acting like the old creation? And then number three, who, who should we pray and believe for? Um, if, is there somebody in your life who needs new, this new life from God? Is there somebody who you need to pray and believe for somebody who, who has maybe gone off like Jacob, right? As a prodigal and is currently dealing with both the judgment and the mercy of the Lord, right? Or is there somebody who, <laughs> who is from your past, who um, you've had rough relationships with, you know, like Esau, God, I need to pray for their heart, right? Whatever it is, God fixes hearts and we should be the people who pray and believe and have faith for that to happen. Let's pray together. God, you are the one in control. You are the God almighty. You're the maker of heaven and earth. You know the current state of every heart. God, and you love people more than we do. You care for people more than we do. Thank you for showing your love and your faithfulness, God, to, to Jacob in this way so that we could see it and see your character. God, we find ourselves in these same situations. God, we are too self-oriented. God, we hold grudges and we don't listen. We're arrogant. Our thinking is clouded. We're self-righteous, Lord. We view you as a last resort after we've tried to Fix it in 10 other ways. And yet you're so kind to us. 
And you are so patient and long-suffering with us. And you seek us out and you save us. You don't forget about us. Thank you for the love you've shown to us. God, we ask that you would help us to live a life that follows you. Help us to be humble. Help us to trust you. Remove from us our anger, God, and our bitterness. God, those responses in our heart from our past, give us new hearts. God, and we ask the same for the people around us. God, that you would redeem your church, that you would redeem our friends, you'd redeem our family, you'd redeem the people that are around us that need your help. God, and we thank you for the promise, God, that you gave that you'll finish the work that you started. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good job. Give him a big hand. <clears throat> what an what a excellent way to portray the gospel in the Old Testament story of Jacob. And the truth is that the message of Scripture is the same from beginning to end. We do not deserve God's grace, but God is faithful even when we're deceitful, when we're dishonest, when we're in the midst of, of being the worst state that we can be, God is consistently gracious. And so I just encourage you, in whatever state you are, uh, to be uh, receptive to his graciousness. Uh, God is for you 100% of the time. And if if you're in that place of struggle and I love how he depicted that the change happened. Uh, Jacob's heart changed when he was in the struggle, and it comes to that. Uh, you have to struggle, and God uh, uh, is willing to allow you to struggle until you come to the place where you recognize uh, his graciousness. And and we want to be there for you. We do have a prayer team available to pray with you if you have any needs whatsoever. Uh, come forward, receive ministry, and recognize that God is faithful and just, and he will preserve you. And then be the messengers of his love by going and doing and being Christ in your community. That means communicating Jesus to your neighbors, to your loved ones, to your friends, to your co-workers, so that they can experience the same thing, that God's graciousness never runs out. So bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you so much. Uh, and we will see you next week. Amen.